There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Rose Podcast number 513 at midnight's going on the road. Well, it's not really going on the road. We're just doing a couple shows in Nashville in the middle of May. I believe the 16th and 17th. That doesn't mean you can't play like Turn the Page and just feel like you're a real haggard road dog. I know. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play, <laughs> play that or The Loadout. Oh, that'd be a good one too. Little Jackson Brown. I just figured you was more a guy with a smooth sax line going in your road dog stories. And Matt Myra's riding dick jokes. <laughs> And the points will be given, and they've all been given out tonight. And I go back to my room and be alone with the internet. And I congratulate myself for not watching too much TV, but I'm on the internet. Um, so we will be there, I think if you go to Wild West Comedy Festival. Well, Google Wild West Comedy Festival and get tickets. Come out and see that. Um, this sponsor of the Nerds Podcast is GoToMeeting. By Citrix, uh, with GoToMeeting, you can share the same screen to review documents, presentations in real time, Kyle Clark. It's you not could a- review those documents in real time. Oh, would you please get the loadout? <laughs> Just load for, that out. For the six of you who understand what the loadout is, you're <laughs> laughing really hard. You know, I bet you... For so the I, remainder of the audience. More people know the loadout. I, I normally would agree with you. This one, I feel like, is, is the stretching point. Don't leave, Kyle. Stay just a little bit longer. There's a dad who's sticking his head into his kid listening nerves right now going, Hey, this show just got great. Hey, you didn't tell me there were all these sweet Jackson Brown references. <laughs> but with built-in video conferencing, Jackson Brown could have used GoToMeeting <laughs> to stay connected with his family <laughs> while he was on the road to make it easier for him. It's HD video conferencing. You just need a webcam to see each other face-to-face. You can present. You can demonstrate. Pretty much from anywhere. With any Mac, PC, tablet, smartphone, uh, millions of people choose GoToMeeting. Start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today. Try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com. Click Try It Free and use the promo code NERDIST. That's GoToMeeting.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. This podcast is Eddie Izzard, who we had on before with a group of people. We had him on with Eric Idle, um, and we had him on with Billy Connolly when they were promoting the show called What About Dick? And... Um, I, I got to hang out with him, hang out with him a couple of years ago at the Montreal, at just for last Montreal. That uh, Paul Favenza Green Room. Oh yeah, the Green Room, so much fun, and that's um, one of my favorite episodes. Of green Room. It was really, really. I don't know. There was something just kind of special about it because of the the audience was in the right place, and I think all the comics were in the right place, and Paul was in the right place, and it just it just had a nice, super good vibe. It just clicked, uh, and was one of the most fun things that I've ever gotten to do. 
Um, and I was, I was just in awe of those guys the entire, the entire time. Any room with Eddie Izzard and uh, Jimmy Carr in the same, same time. You're yeah, like, and then you oh, also have Tim well, Minchin and Judah Friedlander so and Paul Provenza in there as well. So, um, and then, and then me making dick jokes. But uh, uh, Eddie is promoting his new international comedy tour, Force Majeure. Uh, U.S. dates are on sale now at eddieizzard.com. And uh, I mean, you know, it's a fucking. He's, he's, he's doing his closers, his encores in French because regular stand-up isn't hard enough. Yeah, anymore. he does. He does comedy in multiple languages. Uh, he's a he's a, po- a polymath comedian, uh, Eddie Izzard. But there's no, you know, if you're a com- if you're uh, a working comedian today, there's a good chance that you were influenced in some way by Eddie Izzard. And so the fact that he actually wanted to come on the show um, when they said, "Oh, would you, would you want Eddie Izzard back on the show?" I'm like, "Why would you even ask me that? Just, just do it." Uh, and he was um, he was fantastic. So here we go, the Nerds Podcast number five thirteen with Eddie Izzard. Watch it or listen to it, I guess instead right now in your ears. Ugh, I know. I'm not proud of it either. It's a Jackson brownout. That was worth it just to get that pun. <laughs> no, it's never worth it. <laughs> now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to our brick room, a fine place to record audio. So much creativity comes from places. It's like backstage at things. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. Like a natural reverb and echo. Yeah, there's, there's everything. And this room is always permanently cold. What's the heater? What's the heater? Yeah, there's a heater on because it, it, it could be 90 degrees outside, but in here, for some reason, it's just this is just a little mini Arctic... I don't know what the problem with this room is. I said maybe haunted. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it could be. Could be a lot of people died. Well, in fact, well, this is part of. Have we started? We've started because this is part of uh, my theory in force majeure, which is um, if you're going to be a tortured soul to die, uh, maybe soul takes it. But if you, if if there should be dinosaur ghosts. <laughs> yes. Yes. 160 million years. They all died. With uh, in a bad way, none of them died in their beds, surrounded by their families, <laughs> in a good way, and that's and we have been going. We two million years since we came out of the trees, um, uh, maybe five million years to say human development, uh, one hundred and sixty million years of dinosaurs all died badly. This every day, every night, you should be going. There's a huge thing. What? I, what's that screaming? Ghostly, you know, it should be tons of it. Not one haunt. There's not one dinosaur ghost. It should be. Well, they don't have. They have, You need unfinished business to be a ghost, right? Well, they had, a lot, they had an entire well, in 160 million years. There must have been <laughs> quite a lot of dinosaurs going. I was gonna go and do a poo of it, <laughs> and I was gonna rip that thing's head off. Unless eat it like a sherbet. I'll tell you yeah, that they did unless, it. Unless you know. You know, asteroid hits the Earth, kicks up a lot of dust, blocks out the sun. They start choking it, chokes out the dinosaurs. Maybe they just had plenty of time to finalize all their affairs, and they yeah. knew they were like, you know, we this is we see it coming. It's you know, they didn't just they die. were plan ahead. Yeah, yeah. Kind of imbeciles. Yeah. yeah. Where's the where's the dinosaur version of the movie The Road? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's somewhere. Just one little. It's, well, it got crushed. It yeah, got killed. Yeah, all yeah. Uh, we lost a lot of great dinosaur film. Around 65 million years ago, yeah. uh, when the asteroids uh, it just pegged out, and we know that because that thin belt of, of, of dark mm-hmm. in the thing. But if you're very religious, 
then pigs rule the world or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it is on the religious front. But anyway, you guys I, are wrong, by the way. Okay, good. That's fine. I, I, <laughs> listen, if the internet is to be believed, that is true all of the time. That uh, 100% of the time that Wait, I'm wrong. Thing? That I'm wrong. That I'm wrong. Uh, no, not you guys. I'm getting... You, you guys, religious guys. Oh, oh they're, uh, they're wrong. Ethan, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Oh, thank they're God. Wrong. I need to be right you for guys a change. Are right. good. You guys gave are a nod honest. to me when you said religious guys. You said religious guys. Like, <laughs> like, this fucking guy. Yes, right. no, I was just talking about people who... But, you know, religion, it's, it's, the, it's the extremist people. They're the people you just got to watch out for. And uh, so I'm just fiddling around here. Trying to, I've got to... I'm just trying to stick something in my mouth. Are you doing... Are you doing... Is, is today busy press day? Uh, well, to extent, yes, there was, there's a lot. I haven't actually stopped. I've got a gig tonight in English and Spanish. And I'm talking to your good self now. And, uh, and then I go and do Mr. Craigie Ferguson. And then I'm going to do 60 minutes in English and an encore, 15 minutes in Spanish. Hmm. Which uh, doesn't often happen. Because you do. Cause <laughs> I, know, I know you speak German and French, but I did not. Spend, I started Spanish two weeks ago. How is it going? It's, I'm up to 15 minutes, but I'm up to 15, you see, I learn the show off by heart like a, like a play, and then I learn the language at the same time, so one, uh, the learning of the show is, is uh, a memory exercise plus comprehension, because I do understand the words that I'm saying, I do know the show, it is my show that's been translated, and then the learning of the language is comprehension, and then memory, because you need to remember of course. the things that you're learning as you're going, quiero, I want, quiero, and... Uh, on um, agua mm-hmm. con con gas con uh, con limón por favor you know and you need to be, be able to remember those words otherwise it's pointless just understanding it whenever you look at it but going I don't remember anything <laughs> so it's it's interesting that the the things I'm doing on the show is like the flip side of what I'm doing when I'm learning the lessons so I did a week in Madrid and did three hours of lessons every day and um, and then each night I'd put another two or three minutes into the show so by the end of a week I had um, 15 minutes, yeah. Which wow. Los dinosaurios muertos. Los dinosaurios, los animales salvajes. Me he dado cuenta que todos los animales salvajes están en forma. All wild animals are fit. This is the thing I've noticed. This is weird. This is blowing totally out of me. Can you have it? Yes, I will take it. I'm happy to be cool and chill. I have the soul of an old person. I'm always cold, no matter what. I just don't enjoy the cold. Oh, I have a warm thing. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just right. Yeah, <laughs> you're the good porridge. You're, you're, yes. you're the middle bear. Mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always curious about uh, about the you know obviously comedy is universal, so it, it transcends language. But, but there are but the things about it where language. Well, that's it. You said that, but most people don't say that. Most people don't say comedy is what what you have said. I believe is the correct theory, and I feel I'm proving it as I'm going out because I'm now in four languages. Um, but a lot of people say, oh, the the American sense of humor, the British sense of humor, the French sense of humor, the German. Germans don't have a sense of humor. They say in this kind of casual, uh, I suppose it's casual racism way that we had, probably from <laughs> World War I, World War II, we were yeah. quite happy to throw that around. But in fact, <laughs> every, there are Germans with no sense of humor, there are Americans with no sense of humor. I suppose the Tea Party can't be a sense of humor <laughs> anyway. In there. Um, the British people without sense of humor, yeah. The, and, but there are, there's broadly a mainstream sense of humor and an alternative sense of humor in every developed country. Well, I, d- I, think, that, uh, I think it depends on what your points of reference are. And if you're talking about global sure. topics, if you're talking about human topics, yeah. then, then, then language doesn't you know, figure in. But if you're talking about 
if if the basis of your comedy is cultural, like oh, this American show or this British show, you're then, the first person that I've talked to who said my theory back to me. Before, I'm glad. I'm glad I, to hear no, that. No, it's great. No, it's, it, that, that is a very that is very you to do that. Um, <laughs> no, but because you know this this podcast is you know I enjoyed doing it last time, and you're very on it. And but people haven't got there. Like, I, I've got to this conclusion. You've said this conclusion back to me. It's humor is human, and references are national. That's it. Yeah, you, and yeah. you could even get a mainstream. Co- it would be a huge project to do. You'd have to get a mainstream uh, comedian who. Uh, it'd have to happen accidentally because mainstream comedians are not going to... They're just going to say, hey, I do these jokes and everyone in my country likes it and screw everyone else and that's it. Yeah. Uh, but you'd have to get someone who's like that and then something tragic happened and then they were transplanted and they were dumped in another country. They had to learn that language. They learned it all and then they, they, they still were mainstream. They still weren't kind of alternative and out there and progressive but they were still kind of mainstream and I like my <laughs> this and I like my that and then they got all their new references from the country and then they became a mainstream comic in that country and that would prove the theory but I don't think you're ever going to get Get that one to happen. No, I, I learned because I learned to I learned to do stand up in Los Angeles, which is the worst place to learn to do comedy. <laughs> for why? Because uh, it's full of performers, basically, and so you're performing for other performers, and so right. you develop habits here. In the, the performers are in the audience. Yeah, so the performers yeah. in the audience. So you defor- you, you you it's very self referential and, yeah. and 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 too too quote unquote savvy of an audience. I'm saying it kind of sarcastically, and so you you learn habits that that you can't take anywhere else because the audience has come to shows here and they automatically are already yeah. thinking comedy. It's like you, you don't, I don't know. It's you just, could be very postmodern. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and you could take further jumps and they'll go along with it. Because you. they are yeah. also performers and then you're, you know, trying to make performers laugh. It can be very dicey. Yes. And so that's what you learn how to do. And then yeah. you don't, you can't really apply that anywhere else. So yeah, I had to unlearn all of my, First of all, I had to learn how to perform in the rest of America, and then I had to learn how to shed all the America-centric jokes to perform in like Canada and England and other right, places. Yes. So. It, it, but it is if I now in-head edit when I'm developing stuff, and it tends to be on stage. I don't tend to write it, but I, I don't know how you do yours. A lot, of, a lot of people seem to do this thing of on stage and hey, let's go off in this direction. Yeah. But when I'm uh, developing stuff, I will block out good ideas that are just going to be too one country-centric. Yeah. Um, and just let them drift away, and or, or put them on a slight, and put them maybe to be used in that country sometime later, maybe in a chat show or something. I don't know. But the but, rest but, of them just but the Python them. guys did used to do shows in German and French, and you know they did they did other you because know. most of their stuff was universal. And and if they did have a, a completely British reference, which they did have a number of, um, what American audiences or maybe German audiences would do, or anyone. They would just look and say, I don't get that one. That's not even a joke to me, uh, but I don't mind it. I'll wait for the next one to come along. Just like if we're watching The Simpsons and yeah, they reference exactly. some guy from telly in America, right. or some po- politician that's on a low ranking that we don't know isn't the president, we just go, uh, and then it moves on. Right. It, it, you don't actually hear a bell going or a ta-dum thing that says, you should have laughed there, by the way. It's just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I watched, I watched all of the... Um, I adored the young ones when I was in... When they, we got the young ones on MTV in the 80s. Yeah. And then that's, that's where I became... You know, a, a, aside from Python, that's where I started becoming obsessed with British comedy. And I didn't get a lot of the... Oh, like, oh, that's a local British guy. I, don't, I didn't know who yeah. Cliff Richard was at yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. But I just... I knew in context, like, oh, I'm supposed to think that's funny. And yeah. so I still thought it was funny because yes. of the way they presented yes, it. Because he loved... Because Rick Mel loved Cliff and... 
everything's going on close. Yeah. And then uh, John Cleese would talk about Dennis Compton. Yeah, I am Dennis Compton, who's a cricketer, and you wouldn't know the cricketers. And but still, you feel he's hit that such a hard thing that Dennis Compton must mean something <laughs> in this thing and it can be funny even just for the rhythm of it right yeah um and their commitment like they're so yes. committed to it that you're yeah. like oh i'm not i'm the one who doesn't get it that's my fault not yeah. their fault yeah. so i'm gonna find out who that guy yeah, is yeah and i did that re- reversely with um i played lenny bruce on stage and uh, there was a you had to not only be interested in comedy the reason why lenny bruce isn't better known is because it was so full of americana and 50s americana he's talking about nixon Vice President Nixon yeah. in a um, in a, whose administration in Eisenhower's administration. So um, the, you go, you have to know about that. And Sophie Tucker, Sophie Tucker, well, Americans know Sophie Tucker, not known outside. And a whole lot of, and about, there was some band leader he would always reference. And if you didn't know it, you, I, you had to have a read up about people in order yeah. to go back and get the joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. is, it's going to be a real student yeah. of comedy. A set full of footnotes. Yeah. yeah. When I we the first time I met you was we did the green room together, the Paul Provenza show in Montreal. Yes. And I think it was it was it was you and uh, Jimmy Carr and Judah Friedlander and Tim Minchin. Yeah. And uh, it was a fucking great panel. And but and by that time you were saying. You said I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into politics. I'm gonna you know I want to make changes. I really feel like you know and and it sounded like a it sounded like who better to go into British Parliament than a comedian? I don't quite say that though. I don't quite say I'm gonna make changes because I'm kind of uh, I'm very careful with how I articulate. Okay, it. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry, no, 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 it's just okay because but it's an interesting point because I think people will think I'm gonna come in with a broom and I'm gonna change everything and I put cheese in the. On the walls, and, you know. <laughs> um, so I don't say that. But what I do say is, look, if you look, you know, from running marathons to doing gigs in different languages to telling everyone I was a transvestite to uh, playing Hollywood Bowl and um, gigs in German, I do things. I do things which are not on the list. That's why I like doing things that are not on the list, and it's interesting, and it's positive, and it's open-handed politics as opposed to the closed fist of the extremists. And I will bring that to politics, and then whatever I can do, I will do. I don't know quite what I'll be able to do. I might not have enough power to be able to do things. People might expect, oh, everything will change. But then I, if you get to be mayor of London, which is tr- I'm trying to get to, you're in charge of police and transport, essentially. It's not as much power as the mayor of uh, New York has. So, uh, but you cannot change schooling. You cannot change taxes. You cannot um, fund this thing left, right, and center. There's only a certain amount of things you can do. So... Um, I will keep my powder dry on the idea of I'm going to come in and <laughs> set fire to people's trousers. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And, but I will, you know, I will try to do what the hell I, what I can in a positive way. But I like people. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a radical centrist, a social democrat. I like the safety net of people having a tough time. But I like entrepreneurship. I like business. Invent stuff. Go stuff. I've taken my creative medium and, and uh, comedy built in Britain and drama the drama I'm doing it all comes out of Britain uh, that's where I developed and then I'm taking it around the world and, and I'm putting it into interesting places and gigs in Moscow St. Petersburg Istanbul gigs in German French Spanish it's, uh, and then Russian and Arabic to come so uh, that's what I will put into it that energy but at the moment I haven't got this policy that policy and I'm not going to change the world because I want to keep the bar low (laughs) (laughs) because you know um, it it can be difficult you get in and then the other team the other team is going to try and stop everything you do yeah. That is the thing. Whereas in comedy, you just try and do stuff, and your, your other comrades of comedy 
Um, they don't actively try and stop you. They just say, well, I'd like to get a show as well, and you want to get a show, and this guy wants to get a show, but right. no one's trying to say, I'm going to block his show by, <laughs> by, by briefing against him. He smells this guy. I wouldn't give him a show. Okay. Yeah, Eddie Izzard wants you to think the dinosaurs are ghosts. Well, there's no campaign yes. commercials. Yes, because. exactly. The, the British press is horrifying to me. Like, the British press, because like, I feel like there's a very steep shame cliff that happens where if the British press decides like oh we think you're uh, we're, we're just gonna fucking make you look like an asshole right now on that. I know, I know, and I know American press can do that as well but for some reason British press is, is, a, is a little scarier to me it is um, but our TV is okay which is interesting um, the power of the right wing press has, has disintegrated maybe it's too strong a word it's definitely diminished um, I was there when the Sun newspaper, which is a right-wing newspaper, sure. came, landed on the, in the middle of the Labour Party conference. I'm a member of the Labour Party. And it said, we're backing the other team, and you're, basically you're going to have a tough time, or you're not going to make it. And, and, um, and they didn't even get a majority in the last election, so, which is amazing. They were supposed to get a landslide, and they only got 50 more seats than we did. So... Uh, ground war stayed up. Uh, the, 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 the work we did on the ground, the, the knocking on doors, getting the vote out, the core vote of the Labour Party stayed up. So it was, uh, so it was good. We've got another election in, uh, in a, year, a year in May. And uh, we'll see what happens then. Now, you, because you, it's, it, you, you seem to be fascinated by politics, but I wouldn't say, oh, Eddie Izzard, he's a political comedian. No, I, I kept it out. So I do social politics, sexual politics, historical politics, but no party politics. It dates like crazy. You say something on one day, it could date by the next day. Yeah. So that's just practically useless. Yeah. Why not not talk about that? And also, I just thought I'll do, I'll do all the comedy that I normally do, talking about the condition of, of humanity in the comedy, and then I can do the politics in the politics, keep them in separate bags. Pa- applying the, the concept of politics to other sectors is, is pretty interesting because essentially everything has some type of balance of power. Like e- everything has some type of, right? Isn't there some, so you, so like here you say social politics or, you know, right. that essentially breaking, that, that's what I always loved about Python was like, here's the, here's the politics of, you know, the afterlife, or here's the politics mm. of this thing. It's basically taking bureaucracy or structure or whatever, and then, and then you know, uh, peeling back the curtain for anything other than... Well, looking for logic. I mean, I, that's what I... I mean, I, I, in the show, because, you know, this is all about... I'm here to talk about this, this tour. Which I'm trying to play all 50 states of America, but on this, I think we're playing half of them or something like that. So it's all the way from Chicago down to Texas and eastwards of that. Unfortunately, on the West Coast, I'm not getting here yet. But... Um, in that, um, I like human sacrifice is what I start off with, and and I just was wandering around on stage developing because I developed it in San Francisco and here in LA and, and in New York, and I came up with human sacrifice. And I thought this is a perfect place for my kind of intelligent but silly humor, very Python influenced humor to go to because um, I play in a childlike way, but human sacrifice is quite a hellish what the hell were we doing now and it's also a non-blameable thing so no party's going to come and say oh you're blaming us for human sacrifice because it's, it's actually we've gone beyond that place which is great but humanity did that <laughs> certain shades of it but if you think about it it is crazy why because 
I, I point out that if, when we were farmers, if the crops were bad and the, and the weather had failed, then you would try and please the gods. You would do a, maybe a dance for the thing, for a sun dance, a rain dance, whatever you're needing. You'd do a, give an offering, maybe bake a cake, do a thing, <laughs> draw a picture, I don't know, something to please the gods. But who said, you know, the gods are angry, let's kill Steve. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. Why would the gods who put these people on the planet say, can you smash one or two of them up and <laughs> so they're all broken, please? Because well, wouldn't you think by doing that human sacrifice, the gods would be incredibly angry? There's no logic to them saying, yeah, we put them on the earth and yeah, cut them up. And uh, blood everywhere. That's fantastic. It's a right-wing idea. That's not, uh, it's <laughs> also, right Steve's wing a dick. <laughs> well, I also think, like, let's say, I had a, let's say I had 12 dogs. And then I was kind of curious as their master, like, well, I want to test their loyalty. So one of the dogs kills one of the other dogs. And I go, yeah, he's on my side, you know? Like, he's willing to... He's willing to snuff out one of the other ones. So I'm still in control. So this idea, I think, I guess this idea of, like... You know, a god having domain or, or gods having domain over, you know, humanity is the idea maybe that, see, we'll do anything for you, even murder someone. And we kind of like this guy. Well, I, 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 I can see people come up with reasons, but there's still no logical reason. No, no one no. can say unless the god's <laughs> going to come down. And remember, no god has ever came, come down. <laughs> the son of God, the daughter of God, the uncle of God has come down. But no god's ever popped down and said, by the way, I am here. And, uh, this is a dirty place, though, you know? It it's out. a filthy place. Why would they want to get their no, feet there? That is a nice place. <laughs> it can come down and put the Garden of Eden. And that's why the snakes... Remember, you know in the new film Noah, when there's a, there's a thing in the trailer when all the snakes are coming towards the, the, uh, the ark? I don't know if you... There's just a clip. There's a lot of snakes coming in. That, that's when, if I was Noah, I'd go, okay, I think we're... I think we got everything. They don't, what do they do? Snakes are coming. No, I don't know. Sure, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. There's not they a lot of room. Swim. Yeah, we got all these uh, landfish. I'm not sure if those snakes were really nice. But I, but I, you, what I perceive to be a lot of what your comedy is genuinely you trying to understand things. Mm. Whereas I, you know, I, I sort of go through this period where I'm sort of talking about things that happen and with my dad. You, I, I, you're, you seem genuinely curious about things in terms of, and and do you actually, you know, do you actually discover answers in your quest for comedy? It seems well, like you genuinely are curious. Well, I think on you know, on that human sacrifice thing, I think whoever said "Let's kill Steve" was the first fascist. <laughs> you know, it's where they they manipulated logic into saying let's do that. Like the the the, the Jewish Bolshevik conspiracy was utter rubbish from the moment he said it. From and he he picked up ideas that were already existing. And Jewish people are being demonized because they're supposed to be all about money. Bolsheviks were hated because they were supposed to be not into money. So what kind of conspiracy between the people who are totally into money and the people who are not into money was supposed to happen? It's an illogical conspiracy from the moment he thought it up. He just said it over and over again, screamed it, screamed it. Got into power and then started murdering people so I think there's a I think it's the same I think it's the same um, mental gene that uh, that you know, OCD comes from where it's sort of people like oh I you know I'm in this situation where I don't have any control so I'm going to start making weird connections to things to give myself the illusion that I have control over the elements right. so it's all, it almost seems like an extension these types of things like maybe maybe another Steve at another time just accidentally died and they're like the crops got better so they went well now we got to fucking kill someone every, every year Steve. at this time yeah. so that New Year's Steve for New Year's yeah. Steve <laughs> um, but may, may, maybe it is an extension of that kind of you know uh, this OCD thing it, it could be I mean it's just 
extremists come up with simplistic answers, the one-stop answer, do this X, and then everything will be fine. It doesn't work. Real <laughs> politics is complicated, which is why it pisses all us moderates off, because there are so many decisions to make. There could be eight ways of going on a, on a thing. Yeah. Or, and it's got to be maybe you've got to do two of them and a bit of one of the other. But you've got to make a decision and drive forward. And sometimes the decision you've got to do is actually not to make a decision and to wait. And that drives people crazy. But if you watch <laughs> Lincoln, you can see where he could not make, the, he couldn't push it. He had to spin as they were going down, as the, uh, as the, the conservative part of the Republican Party, were, and the Republican Party was really the Democratic Party at that point, um, they were going down, the, the names just like spun around. So the Conservative Party is going down to the South to try and get peace to happen, and he's got to let them do that, because then they will support and vote for his 13th Amendment and get them to eradicate slavery. But he knows that if they do come up, and, and these, these people from the South come up and they make peace, then you will not get this through um, yeah. Congress. So he had to do this really tricky thing. And if you watch Lincoln, you, that's what real politics is. It's really difficult. So the truth of it is really difficult. That's why it annoys everyone, because it can get in really stuck. In a lot of different places, yeah. too. And then extremists come in with a beguiling politics and says, no, let's just do all this, and we'll kill all these people. <laughs> and then they don't start off with kill. They just say, look, we'll move... That's what Hitler said. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. move them to a nice place that's somewhere where... Where? Oh, <laughs> where was that? Oh. And will they have nice houses? Yeah, nice... Ish. Yeah. ish. Um, and then murder, death, and... That's what they said. The, the Jewish people got on the trains feeling they were going to camps. Which they were going to be housed in just a different way, and it was in a different place. And it wasn't going to be bloody murder, which is what it was. And, and that's what the extremists... Come, they come up with murder and those are their answers so it, the moderates of us we've got to a lot of us don't get to stand up and be counted don't become activists and don't get, go and get elected and then the extremists come in with a ton of money your, your politics is awash with money now and what the, the Supreme Court is doing I do not know this, sure. but they're taking off all the hinges and all the stops on, on the money it's just going to be dis, it, well, it wasn't decided by money that was the interesting thing your last election was not decided by the billions and billions that came from these uh, special interest people. So well, I think people yeah. just want people. People, I think there's a lot of there are many things happening in our culture right now, which is that people's attention. Well, and first of all, humans have a predisposition to just being having things simple and be comfortable. Convenience. We yeah. want convenience. Yeah. And so, but in the midst of the convenience. Our attention's being pulled in a million different directions because we always have our face in our phone. There's, you know, we have access to all of the information all the time. Yeah. And I don't think we have evolved to process that. And so I think people now, maybe more than ever, are like, oh, is that a simple answer that's just that or that? Or I don't care what the real... I'll just take the, the... You know, because it's it's just simpler for them to process rather than to actually do the due diligence. It, it yeah. can hurt your mind. You watch someone on the on the telly and a politician and one says X and the other says, actually, it's Y. And you say, well, no, it's X. Well, no, it's Y. Well, it's X, but it's not. And then you go, okay, I'm going to watch something else now. Because, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and if it's, if it's a moderate argument, then you can say, well, I, they're not that far apart. The extremists... Obviously, are off with the fairies, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have the Tea Party named after the Mad Hatter's Tea Party in Alice in Wonderland. I <laughs> so. Well, I, I, uh, I obviously I've been watching you for a really for a, for a, a, I mean you're very much a part of my comedy development. I think mm. and and but what was what what I'm interested in 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 the in the lifespan of of a comic is that by the time Dress to Kill came along, that was like your fifth special. Right? Uh, it was, uh, I think it was... Actually, I think it 
Then unrepeatable. Live the battle. Unrepeatable. Definite article. Then it's. I think it's fourth. Fourth. fourth yeah. So. We're, at that point, when did you... You must have started in the late 80s, I would imagine. I, 88 was my first gigs, like March 88. I was doing stand-up. And so yeah. what, was, what was the stand-up comedy scene in England like? Because in the 80s, that's, that's kind of... Um, that's a couple years away from the end of the massive comedy boom in the United States. Yes, yeah, so it was interesting. We, you had this massive thing. We had a slightly weirder thing. Uh, but it, it kind of... Helped us in a way. We didn't have the crash. You had the boom and the crash, yeah? And we didn't have we the, crash. the crash. We had a lot of franchising. People going to make money. We had a lot of enthusiasts <laughs> opening rooms above pubs due to... Um, it, it took... 79 was the beginning. And it was a separation. Also, we did this thing which America has... Uh, well, comedians have done, but I don't know if it actually was the alternative comedy scene started in 79 and it took over mainstream we said we were different to what mainstream comedy is mainstream comedy was hey my wife my wife you know not saying you know, it was all this my wife joke and my my mother-in-law and all this kind of mainstream thought and they're not based on life yeah. and then 79 it was a post-punk thing that started it was non-sexist non-racist built into it even though some people came into this who were kind of, could be sexist or racist, or in a very, in a hyper-post-modernist way, or sometimes just out and out. And so that was all kind of confusing. But uh, it grew up in the 80s. It was all over the place. It was kind of called the cabaret scene. People had strange, unusual acts. A lot of more special acts were in there. The guy called the Ice Man, he's just to melt a block of ice in different ways. <laughs> so there was, perform- there was performance art within the comedy yes, community. exactly so. And then towards the end of the 80s, going into the 90s, it became stand-up. It, everything dropped out we all just sort of took over um, because we could just turn up and do things really quick we all started doing four gigs on Friday four gigs on Saturday there are 60 to 80 clubs in London it's the biggest Jesus. club scene in the world and it has been for since the, since 90, 1990 so it, it's just and it's an accident it's not because we're brilliantly something or other what America would do with the, these rooms above pubs it was they were taverns and people were traveling back in the old days and the breweries all bought them so they all had a lot of money because they were selling drinks and they le- left these rooms as function rooms for weddings uh, whereas I think in America they say we've got to turn them into condos we've got to turn them into we've got to make an office space it's, it's wasted space here the sun bean counter would have changed it because they but the breweries owned all these places so they were making so much money they didn't really care so then someone came along and said Tuesday night you're not using it you're not using it Wednesday or Thursday and why don't I take one night I'll take the door you take the beer money and the guy said fine so not making huge amount of money there's only a couple of clubs that have their own bars and, and stuff like that and uh, there's just a lot of amateur semi-pro guys running um, these places and it's fantastic fantastic you can just zip around and do four or five gigs of a night so we could just do hours hours and hours on stage were there audiences at every show or yeah. were they like sometimes, so the, sometimes down to 10 15 but but there was always somebody there yeah and wow. and good standard as well you knew that if you well certain ones had reputations if you go there usually good people are on but not known people so you could have a whole night of unknown people still the comedy store you go there and they the people who are headlining or playing all the way through there, you wouldn't really, this is a comedy store in London, yeah. you wouldn't really know who they are, but you could guarantee these are going to be top-of-the-line people who are going to make you laugh. Yeah. And now it's spread all around the country. And we don't have a film industry, um, and we do have a TV industry, so you can get into, into sitcoms and panel games, but 
Uh, and now, now we're doing chat shows as well, which you've had comedians doing chat shows since the 50s. We only got it since the late 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we, we had a sort of Charlie Rose equivalent guy called uh, Michael Parkinson. He was the godfather of interviewing, and he was a journalist. So it was the idea of you've got to be a journalist and have this style. And he had a great style, and it was very inquiring and a great conversationalist. Um, but the idea of a comedian doing it was just not on anyone's radar. Yeah. And then one took off. Graham Norton, I think, was the first yeah. one ready to take off. And they said, we just got to put comedians in it. <laughs> oh, my God, America did it 50 years ago. <laughs> so we all learn, you know, like you take French films and put in the things, and sometimes we do game shows or, you know, I'd find, find a monkey in a, or whatever these things are, you know. <laughs> Britain's next, American Idol came from yeah, Pop yeah. Idol. And, and, and. So we all just borrow off each other. In the end, we're all humans. And, you know, as I travel around the world, I realize there is no difference. I knew this anyway. I still can't prove it to the hating people who will hate and say, these people are totally different. But we've, I like going around making the connections. So I don't know how I've got all the way around to this again. But yes, do No, no, yeah. it's good because we, the, the show that I did for Comedy Central is very much the, a British show, in, which right. is basically, it's a, it's a topical comedy game show. So it's like, oh, three comics, we pull topics off the internet and we kind of make fun of them in a game show fashion. But right. that's, you, have a, you have a ton of those mm, in yeah. England. And we have none except for ours here. No, exactly. The, the weird thing is, at some point, America's going to work out that panel games cause Zip to put on and they make a ton of catch and go, you know, what's it, have I got news for you in its 26th year? Um, they are cash cows of a huge degree and they're all over Britain and no one in America has quite said I'm going to put one in and say it's got to have someone high up the tree is going to say we're going to put this one if that doesn't work we'll put this one on until we get one once you get one it'll knock the doors open yeah I think Amer- I think a lot of the yours. I think a lot of the principles that America struggles with that are sort of British in nature are difficult because we're such a big fucking country that it's very I feel like in England you're a little more focused it's like this is this community and this yeah. is it's a little bit smaller and tighter we're like it, we're like the east coast really or even half the east coast you know it's yeah. like it's like um yeah, it's it, we, it, it's just smaller land. We have too many it? different sensibilities stitched together. And we got together. 60 million, you see. But, so that's a fifth of your size of your country. But your, your country is, is two or three times bigger than Europe. So you've got this massive spread. Yeah. Um, it's like a bunch of different countries. Yeah, and, that's, and you've also got all these f- states in the middle where people, all the young, brightest and wisest, or the liberals or the people who care seem to get the hell out and go yeah. to the edges. So that's a curious thing. So you have this voting thing that is much more skewed to the right because of the middle of your country, people keep leaving. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> like California is actually pretty uh, conservative. Yeah, because of Orange County and then Northern California. <laughs> well, it's all the parts in between. It's like LA, San Francisco, and then that's pretty much it. Everything else is, yeah. you know, everything else is but pretty still conservative. Votes to Demo- Democrat, though. Uh, so yeah, close, state. So. Yeah, as a, as a, but it's but it's pretty close. Like they're, like they're Orange County is a, basically a red state. <laughs> and it's San Diego too, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. And anything south of Los Angeles and in between Los Angeles and San Francisco and then north yeah. of San Francisco. I was in Oklahoma City and a girl saw that I was from California, like a waitress, and she's like, Oh, you're from California? Take me with you. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to go to California. She was saying California as a blanket statement. And I, I was trying to explain to her, I was like, You know, most of California is like Oklahoma, just farms <laughs> and flat and boring and racist. <laughs> <laughs> How long are you in the States for? Um, I'm going to be touring. So the tour starts on the 30th in D.C. And then uh, uh, it's all the way up to the 2nd in San Antonio. And then I fly to see the Python gigs in London. Oh, man. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the 20th of July could be the last Python gig ever. So 
If people want to see something, they've got to get there by the 20th. I love, when the last time you were on it was, uh, it, it was you, Eric Idle, and Billy Connolly, and Sophie... Um, Sophie Wickleman. Yes. And uh, you guys were promoting What About Dick? And, and Eric Idle, who is amazing, and I... And I it's weird to say I feel bad for the Python guys, but people still just like, you know, when he was like, you know, that was like just a couple of years of our lives and career. Yeah. And then that, but that's the thing that everyone's like, oh, this sketch and that sketch. And well, the, it was four years of that. So 69 to 73, I think. So it's four years of that. But then they came back and they did first a film collection of sketches, which they refilmed. And then they did the second film is, is Holy Grail, which mm-hmm. took off in America because the first film didn't take off. And have something completely different, and then so holy, so that takes you into what again? Seventies going into the eighties, and then Life of Brian was huge, and there was a big scandal because they were saying, hey, you know, there could be some people. You know, it wasn't about the life of uh, of uh, Mister Mister Yeshua, because <laughs> Yeshua is the guy whose Greek name is Jesus. So. I don't think if that guy was really was the son of God and he came down, he'd say, why are you calling me by the Greek version of my name? <laughs> you know? His name was Yoshua Yeshua. This is historical. This is historically out there. And, uh, and then it was all, everything was written down in Hellenic Greek. And so they wrote Jesus. Jesus. So um, anyway, so um, <laughs> that's what they did. That. So it, it was, I think the Python career was slightly long. It was initially four years. And then there's the tapes and, and the... And the albums, and then those films going all up into the early '80s. So it, it does, it, it does feel like 15 years. Do you think they're still okay with it, or do you think they're like, ah, let's just do these one more time? Oh, I, I think, well, there's, yeah, I, I, there's got to be a certain edge of what, what's actually going to happen. How's it going to actually play? <laughs> but um, uh, you know, they all can do it. They are my comedy gods. Um, it's it's how up for it they are to do it. You know, if they just got to go for it. Yeah. Um, if I was them, I would do, I would do, um, you know, a week or two somewhere just before they go on. I I don't know if they're going to be around it, but I I just get on a small stage somewhere and get themselves blooded and up and running. Yeah. Uh, before they they hit the stage, just uh, it'll put them in a better frame of mind. Doesn't it make you happy that you're a, just a stand up and that you don't have to rely on a few other people to like get together to you know? Well, I was a four person. I was in a four person theater group, so I do you know because we were just trying to be Python when I was in the early eighties. That's why I took up the Edinburgh Festival. So it was four. I was a four person group, and all the arguments that went on with four. They got they had six now five. And then I was two. All the arguments were just with two people. Just I, we used to have meetings to discuss. Me and my partner Rob would have meetings to discuss when we could meet to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> we say let's have a, have a coffee to go and discuss when we could meet to discuss what we could change in the show to improve it, and can we be bothered, or should we just do the same old stuff? Because. You know, it was it street. I was when I was doing street performing, and it's really difficult to come up with stuff for street. You can't write street stuff. You can't say I'm going to talk about hedges today. You just can't do it. Whereas on the stage, you can just say I'm going to talk about hedges. Why is that? As a street performer, do you have to? Well, as a street performer, what happens is attention spans change. Uh, adults become like children. Children become like animals. Um, so, as you know, very few animals have a good attention span. You can't keep them interested in anything. They're look, they're off with stuff. If you're in a room, like here we're in a, in a room, so everyone is kind of forced to listen to what is going on. You can zone out of it, but you can't go and have a cup of tea 
Oh, if, if you're watching in a show, if they get up and have a cup of tea, that's a complete statement of I'm leaving this show. Right. <laughs> but there was a, the, the, the seats are regimented so that you're going to watch the show. And so that's you. And the lights are down. The focus is on you. The lights are on your face. Out in the, in the open air, people don't even know you're doing a show. Sometimes. I've had people walk slowly, casually through a show that I was doing <laughs> with, with my partner. Cause, cause they, and you're going, what are you doing? And they're going... What are you saying? What am I doing for you? <laughs> you're just someone standing there. He's saying, you're standing on my props, man. You know, and, and there's some people uh, on the other side of them. They're just oblivious to it because you hadn't set up a good edge. You actually have to learn the human wrangling. You have to actually get people to stand at an edge, and then people will fill up behind it, and then you get a show going. And it's, it's a completely weird thing to do. But it meant that I could play Hollywood Bowl because what I learned there was playing in the open air with oh, no yeah. one paying any attention, big open space, and then my training for Hollywood Bowl was four weeks, no, it was 11 weeks doing f- shows in French. And then I did four shows on the roof of this building, which is in Bexil-on-Sea, this little seaside town where I grew up. And I did this, four little shows there, and then I did Hollywood Bowl. So that was... Is, wow. is Hollywood Bowl too many people for a comedy show? It is perfect. The Greeks got it right. The amphitheater works. 15,000 is great. It's hmm. just... You should do... I encourage other comedians to do Hollywood Bowl because I, I, cl- I claimed I was the first person to <laughs> do a solo act in there because um, you know comedians have played it before but I claimed I was the first person to go and do the whole thing and they checked uh, LA Philharmonic and they said no it's right you are oh so, really oh yeah because no one's there's four I'm the fourth person to play at Madison Square Garden and the first in uh, Hollywood Bowl but I'd, I want other people to play it I want Jerry Seinfeld to go play it I want, you know, there's other people who can play it and it's a beautiful gig the comedy rolls down the hill into your face. Right. The laughter does. It's it's it just works. But don't you have to? Do you have to alter your? Uh, no. You don't have to alter anything. No. All the arena gigs I've done, you don't alter because the screens carry it to the back, and the sound. You have good sound people, good screen people, and it just carries it up to the back. The best view can actually be from the back of uh, of Hollywood Bowl or any arena because you see the whole event and you can see everything clearly. When, yeah. when you're playing in a club, though, occasionally you have this thing where it's like. Oh, that four-person table is not into it, or they're not paying attention. So I want to focus on that. But if you're doing an arena, it's like the second loge is weird. <laughs> like, do you do you not? I don't look at anyone in any gig. And when I was street performing, I could see everyone. But I found uh, as I went in, um, I would always focus on the people. As you said, that table's not into it. So that's, I, and I don't do it because. They could be just bad humorous people. <laughs> and you've got to get with the fact that your humor is some of the bestest stuff going. And so if someone's pegging out, they could be tired, their family could have just exploded. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, so I just ignore that and I drive and I live with the energy. I can feel where they are, whether they're with me or not. But uh, I'm not going to go on one group, one thing who are not in there. And then it's just one big mass of one... It's one person. It's really one big person. It's just one throbbing organism yes, that you're playing that's, to. Yes, that's what I'm playing to. I'm not playing to a lot of collective individuals. Do you write a lot on stage as it's happening? I mean, do you just sort of go, well, I want to talk about, you know, I want to talk about dinosaurs or I want to talk about, you know... Uh, God and fish. God and, God and fish and all these things. Yeah, and, and then do you just start talking? Is that I have, how you're the able set, to? I have the set list and then I just go on and, and play. But do you write? A, do, like, do you actually write things down, or do you go? Oh, these, go are, these are some ideas that I have, and then you work it out on stage. No, the show. Like, I've developed this show doing work in progress gigs, you know, force majeure. So I worked that out in L.A., San Francisco, New York, doing those 
each night going, oh, what about this, what about that? And uh, I'll do that. And I was doing the old show as a sort of backup to give people a decent show, and then I'm adding stuff. Oh, yeah, I've got 20 minutes now. That's decent. That's a bit weird, that stuff. That isn't working. You know, so I, I would build that up. And then once I've got the show, once the tour started, um, that was the show, and then I was refining that. But then I just ad-lib off as much as I want. I like to, you know, you, 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 we're the only ones who see our, every show that we do. So it's good to... I, I try and keep it loose and conversational. But with certain pieces which are structured because I think, well, that's the best way that that bit works to get the laugh to work, to get the idea through. Yeah. It took me ages to work out how to explain um, the, the problem I had with, with human sacrifice. <laughs> to go, I had to say, just follow my logic here. This is that humans, we had fields, we had problems, and I could understand people praising gods, but who said the crops have failed, let's kill Steve? Who that's a right-wing idea. That's <laughs> not from humanity. That's from extremists. And then you just try, and then you, you're free to just keep tagging it out as much at each show until you yep. find little nuggets, and then you oh, yeah, I keep, that one, that one, that one, not that one. Yeah, and I can, and then and and, and it, it's like pruning a hedge um, or certain trees. The you you expand out and it grows out and the, and the stuff grows out and then you should prune it back, prune it quite hard back, cut it back to a smaller thing and that should be the, really the good stuff and then it grows up again and grows up again and then you prune it back. It mm. works like gardening. Bit, I'm, bad at, I'm bad at pruning because there's comics like um, there's comics like John Mulaney who do you know? Are you familiar with John Mulaney? I haven't seen. He's great, amazing. But every every word that comes out of his mouth is the perfect word. He just doesn't waste any words, and it's it's just oh, that's the perfect. You've reduced it. It's like it's like Picasso. It's like if you just reduced it to the minimum number of yeah. things that it needed to be. And is he a very precise? Comic? Very yes, precise. precise. Do, he doesn't. There's no stammering. There's no uh anything. It's just these are all of the words that were meant to be in this order, and they're right. perfect. Yes. And you know, for I say a lot of words. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like, oh, am I not confident enough in my joke writing that I have to talk so much to trick people into not saying? No, I think it, it, it's the world is big enough for all these different styles. And some people, because you, you might find you have more gears. Some people are very precise, might get stuck in a, in a night that's kind of a bit weird, and then they may not have the gears to be able to adjust in things. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure how it works, but I do know that I wanted to have gears so that I could... Do this. I could do a tight show in a night. With a, God, they're kind of crazy. They just yeah. just hit them because they're going off, and some of them it's drunk, and he's got, just wants to shout at you and tell you to piss off. <laughs> so, and then some nights where you say, "Hey, they're with me, so let's fly, let's go over here, let's do that, let's pull it back, let's ram it into them." What do you have? Um, yeah, there was there was a show I was doing up in Canada. So, where was it? No, this was in. Uh, in Germany, I, in Germany or Madrid, it could have been in German or Spanish, and and somebody was just uh, repeating. So I just thought I'm going to steamroll them. I got a steamroller technique because you deal with hecklers, you know, people are being weird with sure. you, and then if they're just okay, they're drunk, they're not taking any, they're not feeling the fact that I've actually already defeated them twice in battle. <laughs> so right, I'm just going to steamroller them, and then while they're shouting anything out, you're just going over, and there's laughter coming back, going, and then eventually they just tire out, fall <laughs> into a puddle of their own. Misery. <laughs> that's the that's the game. Plan. Those are pretty rare, though. I feel like those. I feel like that heckler's pretty rare. I, I feel like m- most people just want to help. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm a part of the show. I get no, to talk to Eddie Izzard on stage. No, it is rare. I mean, you know, just occasionally you get um, you get people who are just happen to mosey on up and get the wrong ticket. There's yeah. There's one. There's one. There's a. I feel like it's pretty rare though that you get that chaotic evil person who who decides. 
Um, I am going to dismantle this uh, head to toe. I want to tear this down. Well, I feel they, like that's pretty rare. They, they can't really because we've all had more experience at talking to them, and the, the audience is on our side. So. Yeah. So that, and they haven't got a microphone either. <laughs> they have got none of the tools. And especially if you're at the Hollywood Bowl, like one person, one person would have to yeah. shout pretty fucking loud to yeah. without yeah. a microphone, without an application device to to affect the show it's in any not way. Really going to work. <laughs> so what now? With Force Majeure, how is, there, is your writing? Pro- I mean, is it, does it all feel the same? Does it feel familiar? How do you keep challenging yourself when you've? Because I improvise as much as I can in every show. Oh wow! So that's the thing. So you have the. I know the motorway route. I know the. You call it the freeway route, the sure. highway, highway route, and I know where, where that's going. But meanwhile, I just keep going off on side routes and going, "Oh, look over here! Look over there!" Then I come back on the road and off we go again. That's how I do it, and then expand it out, expand it out, prune it back, and then practice because i'm going to do i'm going to stop in chicago uh and i'm going to fly to the 70th anniversary of d-day in normandy and i'm going to do i'm going to get there for the that day what day of the week is it anyway it's the 6th of june and uh so i get there about 11 in the morning so i fly to charles de gaulle in paris car Mm. takes me to normandy north of france get out I'll try and be part of some of the commemorations of everyone who fought there um, 70 years ago. And then at 7 o'clock, I'll do an hour in German. At 8 o'clock, I'll do an hour in English. And then at 9 o'clock, I'll do an hour in French. And I, that, I have to practice that as I'm going with my brother on Skype because he's the language expert. So I'm going to uh, work with Mark, my brother, on that stuff so I can get down there and do these three gigs in one night and hopefully if you thought about people fighting 70 years before uh, even some people on the German side who might have thought Hitler's crazy but I'm forced to do this because I'm a you know member, I'm a German person so I have to fight maybe they might have thought this is a positive thing some idiot's going to do in 70 <laughs> years to a gig in German and French and English um, and they could have all sat down and watched it but it's kind of a, but it's a, but it's a, I mean you know this idea that sort of the comedy is this thing that kind of unites people can come together and and experience comedy and that's a very communal experience. But and, but to do that straddling those three cultures is, is a, like that actually gives it meaning. Like it's not just well, well, I want to do this for the fuck of it. Like that's a, that, that's kind of nice. I think it's it's kind of crazy. And then as soon as I finish, I have to get in a car. I drive back to the airport in Paris. Uh, I sleep for a few hours, get on a plane, fly back, and do the gigs in Chicago. So. That's that's the plan. But you ran twenty seven marathons in like a month, right? No, it was forty three in two months. Uh, oh, okay, forty three. Not as uh, impressive. Never mind. Forty three in fifty one days. <laughs> but you know, the, 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 though that's just marathon running, and you know, anyone we can all do more than we think we can do. And I've decided I'm going to set myself up. I think humans are pretty good with missions. And, and you, you can set yourself a positive mission. You can actually set yourself a negative mission. And that was, I think, the problem with Hitler and, and German. The German people weren't naturally Nazi. But he said it's all going to be for fatherland, for us. Remember, we lost uh, the World War. And come on, let's go get that back. And don't we have some people over here who speak German in the next country over and some people over there? And come on. And so it all spun around. And, and it got them all on a mission. And they got really good at fighting, you know. And that was a big tragedy. And it all blew up. But Nelson Mandela is someone you can get on a mission to save for freedom, for black people, to get the vote. 
That's the kind of mission. Uh, Mahandas Gandhi, you know, I think it's, humans are good with missions. You just got to try and choose the right one, please. <laughs> and so this is my, my mission is just is, is open hand, the open hand of politics. So you reach out across into the next culture, into the next language, instead of the closed fist, which is the extremists of saying, push off, back off. Who are you? I hate you people. That's all the right wing uh, politics. So yeah, mine's open handed. So what is the what is it about your personality you think that makes you want to uh, tackle all of the the unlisted stuff? You're like, oh, I got to do this, and I want to try this, and I want to do this crazy stuff off the list. Stuff, stuff off the list. Because yeah. yeah, I think you know, as comedians, we have a certain list of certain things we've got to do. You get a the program on television, or you get a film, yeah. and thing. But the gigs in French, German, they're not on the list. The Russian and Arabic to come, that's not on the list. Hollywood Bowl wasn't on the list. Um, you know, saying that you're a transvestite isn't on the list, but it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's, um, uh, uh, I'm quite, I like people. I, I like the vast majority of us. I'd like to give all of us the time of day. You meet someone, someone drops a bag, you want to try and, I, don't, I just think most people are great. You know, the extremists can all piss off, but the rest of us, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good. I because you can be glasses half full, glasses half empty. I'm glasses two thirds full, baby. <laughs> I'm glasses two thirds full, and uh, so I just and I want us to make it. I want us to, you know, I want us to live beyond the end of the century. So we've all got to get a decent living. And I was born in in Yemen. I was born in Aden in Yemen, and they have a very tough time there and it'd be great to do gigs in, in Arabic go to Cairo go to Beirut and do gigs there and then some Arabic gigs going to go well if that English guy that British guy is doing it in Arabic I'm going to do it in English or I'm going to do it in Russian and, and there's already this Edinburgh Festival we've got a French guy going in Yassine Belhus he's going to do an hour in English that's the first time ever has happened I think Igor Mearson from Russia doing an hour in English uh, Francesco De Carlo doing an hour in English oh, wow. and uh, Michael Mittermeier oh I know Michael Mittermeier yeah, yeah. he's doing an hour in English as well and um, um, Henning Venn is the German guy who's playing all through but he lives in Britain and he's he's been playing he's on panel games now he's the guy who kicked the doors open he just you know Bever said Germans have no sense of humor this was a German guy who started making everyone laugh and he turns <laughs> up on chat shows and panel games and and uh, yeah, I met him. Changed. I met him in, in at, at Montreal. I think that year that I was that we were there. Uh, there were there were a bunch of international comedians who, in their own countries, were like fucking huge. Mm. But then in you know in Montreal, it was like they didn't you know it. I, and I, and it seemed like it was kind of cool for them because they, they kind of had to work for it a little bit mm. again. And not like you don't have to work for it, no matter what level you're at, but. You know, if you're a huge comic, the, the people come into the show with some, you know, like, they want you to win. Yeah. But if they have no idea who you are, there's a little bit more like, you yeah, better, yeah. Fucking, uh, better make me laugh. Yes, I get a, I get a fairly... I'm, I'm lucky when I'm going to these new countries because of the internet and people... I've been putting subtitles on my DVDs for ages and uh, in up to 17 languages. And so I'm going into Madrid and there's already Spanish people going, we know what you do. So I don't have to come in unknown yeah it's this unusual thing the internet has, has made it since 2007 has really made it so i go to berlin and they 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 uh they say yeah we know you do this crazy stuff <laughs> how do you stay focused because anyone with um anyone who has a a measure of sustained success it's it's never accidental that person works incredibly hard yeah so how do you how do you maintain focus and how do you you know when you have these missions or if you i mean i think the, well I, that's 
That's the thing. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Yes. Okay. The mission, the mission is the thing. If, you just, if you're floating along and you have an agent manager who's going, what do I do next? Then I think, well, you're, you're, the river will take you where it will. And you could get stuck on a tree and go, I'm stuck on a tree in my career. <laughs> I didn't plan my career to be stuck on a tree in the middle of a river. But uh, so life is this river thing. That's the analogy. And, uh, and I'm there paddling like crazy. And I've built a weird boat. And <laughs> I'm going to weird parts of the river. And people are going, what's he doing over that part of the river? That's where the French people live. And, then, and people think I'm crazy for doing France. But this, there, was a, there was a promoter in Paris. And he was saying to me, there's 200,000 English speakers in Paris. Why are you doing it in French? And I was saying, there's 60 million French people in France. <laughs> Can you not see the big picture here? And there's 80 million in German or another... Nine in Austria is another one. It's another it's, it's, it's yeah, it's about ninety million Germans I can play to. Spanish, I get the whole of South America. It's uh, I'm not crazy. I'm I'm so I'm keep setting these missions up, and therefore I, I I'm like a nineteen year old saying, oh, "Come on, I've got to do this. I've got to do this." And it didn't take off for me for ages. I was um, a lot of people in comedy not until you're in your thirties did it happen. And uh, I was ready when I was nineteen. I was ready when I was seven. But. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it sort of took off around about 30. So I've been playing catch-up. What happened to those 10 years? It was Margaret Thatcher's fault because that, that, that was the entire period. When she resigned, suddenly my career took off. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a connection. There has to be. It was a horrible 80s. Were just So in order to, it's a, every time you want to, some type of a career high, we have to sacrifice a Margaret Thatcher. Is that it? Well, I'm not saying that far, but she, yeah, all this greed is good and, you know, Gordon Gecko and the, the Reagan Thatcher years and they just wouldn't put any sanctions on South Africa, a racist country under that administration and uh, it was all wrong, wrong, wrong. So I didn't like that decade. So how do you separate between between your comedy and then you as just as a person and you because obviously you care about people and obviously you want you want the world to be better as much as you can. So why did you make the conscious decision to like just make the stand up about social politics and about and about uh, about bureaucracy, but not necessarily politics? Because I thought I would go into politics, oh. so I was pre-planning that. I've been planning. I plan about fifty years ahead now. I used to plan about ten years ahead, but the the art of planning is to plan about fifty years ahead and then be able to change tomorrow. Someone can walk in that door now and say, "This has just come through," and you go, "Okay, we're going to stop it. I'm going to." cancel the tour I'm going to do this which I'm not doing the tour, <laughs> by the way but you know you have to be prepared to cancel a whole bunch of things and then say well that's going to piss everyone off well we'll pay everyone money I, I, I got another film that came in. I had to pay a hundred grand I had to pay a hundred grand to do this other film so I'm happy to do that because I like doing the work I feel I'm a creativist as opposed to a capitalist. Capitalists make things to make money. I make money to make things. Yeah. I love making things. I just love making stuff that wasn't there and then make it happen. And so I'm a creativist. That's so as long as, as long as you're able to just keep making stuff, they go. Why, why, do you think, why do you think sometimes, uh, or a lot of times, you know, as, as comics hit, like, they get into their late 60s, 70s, like, comics just get softer. It's like, oh, you want them to be funny, but they just sort of, they just lose. And is it, is it not? Because it's the edge. Um, I still feel 22. I've got so much to do. I'm working so hard at the moment, and I haven't got a lot of money put aside, so I've got to keep working. And so I feel I'm 22 and just beginning to, just beginning to get there. I'm, so it's I'm, the hunger. Yeah, it's the hunger. I'm, like, I, I came out of two months in, in Berlin, doing stand-up in German, seven weeks in German uh, of shows, and I was doing film, dramatic film, uh, with uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, Kathy Bates, 
and Josh Lucas, um, and that was great. I spent ages trying to get that together, and then I got it. I've got six years, and then I have to put it all into hibernation to go into politics and do an Al Franken. And, <laughs> and then you're going to do comedy again after the politics. Um, yeah, I want to be able to at the end of a political career to come out of it, uh, or even in the middle of a political career to come out. Of it. I just don't, I might get sucked in and then I can't get out. Or I, I feel like I've got to stay in because I don't like these people who are pushing and this situation has got into a not... You know, I, I, I love this career. I don't want to leave this place. Um, and I spent decades putting it together and it's getting really interesting. I mean, God, you know, you imagine stand in Moscow and go, go, hello, Moscow, this gig's going to be in Russian. That's going to be beautiful, you know? And all the history that's gone on there. And it's, it's great when you do it in French. I've 2000 seater the the Olympia the, uh, theater where Jacques Brel played Edith Piaf Jimi Hendrix David Bowie and then I did it sold it out in French and that was beautiful and that was French and British people all working to try and sell it out because all the other performers and actors were going on telling saying you c'est nécessaire il faut voir cette spectacle you know you got to go and see it and I thought wow this is I didn't know these people and it was and there's 200 years since the Battle of Waterloo, and then you got, and there's still this spiky thing that can go on between French and British people, French and English people, but th- there's us working together to do this show because we just thought it was good. Yeah, and that is that's beautiful. Do you ever slow down? Ever can I you? I think I speed up. Actually, I think this is the time to speed up. Um, I think I met an 80-year-old lion who was 14 years old but 80 in human years sure. at Boston Zoo who very kindly said come and see a backstage tour of Boston Zoo which seemed like you go back and you'd see the, the lions getting ready and <laughs> tuning up guitars chimps are smoking yeah, yeah. before the big show um, but this we went back and they'd all been outside the lion, this lion was going to come in and we were behind bars but the lion was, was yowling wanted to come in and say hello in, in a lion in an 80-year-old lion way and he basically ran at us and went blah and he, he, he did a false leap because he knew the bars were there so he just came up and went nah. like you know like some kid might do at school some big kid might do at school blah you know just, just throw something in your face just to scare you he thought wow you're going to do that and you're 80 <laughs> <laughs> so they don't ever stop being fit all wild animals. This is what I'm going to say. Todos los animales salvajes están en forma. This is this, the Spanish part of my show. goes into the fact that it's the, the Olympian ideal I'm talking about, the healthy mind and a healthy body, which is great. Nazis liked it as well, but they got it wrong because it, it wasn't a fucked up mind in a healthy body. It was a healthy <laughs> mind, and they got that a little bit wrong. But uh, the general idea, this Greek ideal, was, is great. That, and I always read it and thought, you can't because... As you get older, the, the body goes nowhere, but the head gets pretty good. When you're a kid, the body is good, but the head's just got nothing in it. Yeah. But in fact, if you can try and make both of them work, that is where we should be going. Wisdom in your head and fitness in your body. Otherwise, the last, we could be living to 100, and the last 20 years is just going to be useless. So that's why marathon running, triathlons... Do what the wild animals do. You know, get feral with it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I don't... It's the, the marathons are essentially twenty six miles a day. Yes, for a lot of days. Yes, in a row. Yeah, but you're not taking. I'm it. not saying everyone's going to do that. Just do, <laughs> just do, just realize that if you look at wild animals, and which is what we were, and we slowed ourselves down, and we we came out of the trees two million years ago. We started doing civilization two thousand years ago. We started eating sugar four hundred years ago. Sugar's a big poison, refined sugar, and. Uh, and we just and now we sit and eat cakes and watch stuff. We should be getting out there, 
and running wild like we did when we were kids. Yeah. And we just lose this idea. And that I, that's what we've got to get back to. We've got to keep that within our lives. Otherwise, your end part of your life, your, your end game story is just going to be bad. Well, the pro- I think part of the problem is that, and one of the ways that you're fortunate is that you know what you want. You know what you're passionate about. And I think a lot of people don't, know what their passion is. They get to a certain point in their life and they're like, I don't fucking know. I no, mean, my dad said he, he's 85 now. When's he got 86 in, in September. He says he still doesn't know what he wants to do with, when he grows up. <laughs> um, so, and he, yeah, he said to me I was very lucky because I knew at seven I knew and it's never, that was acting. That was drama. That was not comedy. I loved comedy. I didn't know you could do it. I just saw acting I saw someone acting and they were getting a lot of applause as well so it was this affection things my mother died swapped that over for the audience um, yeah that's what I wanted to do and it's just stayed there like a rock which is interesting do you make that connection do you make the maternal connection between like the the open arms of an audience and, and losing your mom the when you were a kid yeah because uh, just before she died the, there was a Christmas thing I was uh, I would have been five then and uh, there was a form a pattern for a raven outfit. And so she made this. She cut out the patterns and sewed it together. And she was very ill at this point, but she did that. And so I, I, there's a picture of me dressed as a raven. And then, so I, I play one of two ravens in the show. And at one point I got a laugh because I said the line back to front, which was supposed to pardon me, your majesty. But I said, I beg your pardon, your majesty, which isn't very funny in my book. But it, <laughs> it killed that. I seem to remember it killed. And just because it just sounded like I was being indignant with the queen. <laughs> to, saying, um, anyway, so that happened. And I remember doing that and going, oh, yeah, I did that. That's no big deal. And then time, then my mum died a few months later. And then time went on. And then a year later, I see this thing and say, whoa, God, what's this guy doing on stage? God, these people really like it. I've, I've got to do this. And it just stayed, it stayed. And I did crazy things to try and get into shows. There was, I wasn't in the school choir because that seemed very girly and I hadn't told everyone I was kind of girly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> action transvestites, we have a lot of boy stuff going on. So I was football, soccer, you know, that. <laughs> you know, this is, this is what my sexuality is. It's straight transvestite and it's got all the boy stuff. I wanted to be in the military. I was going to be, want to be in the SAS and all this kind of stuff. But I've also got the girly part. Anyway, so at that point, the choir, you weren't in the choir because that was kind of a more girly place to be. Uh, but they were doing Joseph in his Technicolor Dreamcoat, the Lloyd Webber and uh, Tim Rice musical. It's a great, fun musical. And I thought, I, I need to be in this. So uh, I just stood next to them so um they, they were doing things to set up because they go okay we're in the choir we're going to do this thing and i just stood i just stood there i just got to <laughs> wherever they were and whenever they were doing things i would just stand there and then someone says we need to pick this up and i would pick things up and i'd move tables around <laughs> and gradually i was just the guy who was always moving things so i was gradually there and okay you're okay you're gonna help with this right is that okay and then i was in it and then i even got a solo line out of it so i just i just can't <laughs> sheer force of will yeah, yeah just by standing around and and until they gave in and that's that's what it, a lot of it was the beginning stuff was there was a lot of no at the beginning and it was working how to get around no but most people most people say no in their own heads before they even do something. And then when someone else goes no, they go, oh, yeah, that's what I thought. And then they just don't try anymore. Well, how do you mean the no? I mean, like, they stop themselves from doing it before. Like, they would go, like, a lot of people might go, oh, yeah, I'm probably, no one's going to cast me in that thing. Why would, I, why would they want me in that? You know, like, they, they, the sort of internal, the critic 
would deter them before an external force. And then yeah, I, if they do that, I can't, I don't know how to link up with that thinking. Cause I, there are certain things I think, well, I can't, I don't think I should do that. I'm not even going to bother trying, but the things I want to, I say, I need to do that. How do I get into that? And then I just, my, my brain just goes round and round thinking, how can I get to there? How can I get there? How can I get into the thing? Those are good questions. Like there people, I think, I think a lot of people ask bad questions. Like a good question is, how do I make that work? Or how yeah. could I manifest that? Or how do I, oh, not this way? Well, is there a back way? How do I get to this? Or yeah. what do I want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole computer thing, which, you know, to, if you look at the Steve Jobs thing, I, in, I bought an Auric computer. I don't know if you had them here, but it was the early basic computer we had. There was a Sinclair ZX Spectrum and an Auric computer. And this was 80, <laughs> about four um, and I was trying to start a computer company. I just thought this games thing is going to take off, and it was and it was and I was an I played Asteroids, which is very early. Oh yeah, game. and I was an Asteroid King as I. Type. So fucking vector graphics. I, I loved I, Asteroid. I worked out how to do it. I, I got scores of over a million. I mean, a standard score, first ever score you'd get would be about a thousand or something. I got I got spare rockets all across the top because you get an extra one every ten thousand, and. You, the, t- the technique most people would do is you shoot out all the rock except for one that you let leave floating around, and then you you just wait there, and then these one thousand these little spaceships come who are very accurate, yes, but they will uh, they're worth a thousand if you kill them. But I would just zoom around off the edge, so you go horizontally across the screen, and you just keep it at high speed, and you're zooming. And so when he shoots you, he can't actually find you because you keep moving. <laughs> uh, but if you go, you can do a spray of, of about five bullets, and he would just drive into your spray. And die, and this was. <laughs> and I, I would play games for an hour and a half, Jeez. and and it was so odd because I was at the halls of residence, so first year at university, and the people I would go to the next door halls of residence, who I, who I wasn't known at all. Not that I was very well known in my hall residence, and um, uh, and I would get on the machine, and people would talk about me. As if I wasn't there, because they thought I was part of the machine. <laughs> well, I, like, like, like I'd become part of the machine. They'd go, God, he's really weird. Yeah, that's all he does. Yeah, that's all he, does. he kills. But he's perfect. God, look at the number of spaceships he's got. And that was, they were sitting right next to me and doing that. I just thought, this is weird. So you're just, you work shit out. This was, I mean, it's the same. Everything you say sounds like it, I mean, like it all comes from the same mind. It's the guy who figures out how to run 40 marathons, or the guy who figures out asteroids, the guy who figures out Spanish in two weeks. I mean, there, there's something about... How do you unbox a situation and start getting underneath it to understand it to then ultimately... Yeah, and it all comes from the transvestite thing where I sort of analyze myself to work out, should I come out? Yes, I should come out. And I don't think I should have shame or guilt. I think that's been put upon me. And if people have a problem with my sexuality, then they can see a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist can help them with their problem. Well, how did you how did you arrive at that? Because most people don't. Mo- most people are afraid. I just I lay on my bed with the curtains closed, and I just kept thinking, "Why do I feel this way?" And I just, and my brain was stopping me thinking. It was a it was like a damaged place in my head, so like a car crash thing. So, I it would it would not let me concentrate. So I just kept working on it, um, and I, I didn't get to any big conclusion of the, of the why. Um, and since then, I've just come to conclusion. It's my genetics. It's in there. They will find. The transvestite, transsexual, transgender, genetic, they'll find a code in there and then you'll find, you know, people will have that and, uh, and I'll have that. But I just thought, thought um, I sh- it's better to be honest and upfront about it. Uh, the only way you can get to a better place is coming out. That seems the right way to do it. It could screw up my career. I don't even have a career, but, you know, that could knacker it in the head. Well, you just got to get it out there and see what, where the chips may lie. 
and uh, it seemed positive. And that is that day I walked out the door. That informs everything else because it, it takes um, anyone LGBT. It takes that balls, guts, whatever it is to to get out. And um, and once you've done it, you can start to get positive about it. And it's, somebody said to me it was a gift. I was at this help group. This guy said it's a gift. I went, what? It's not a gift. Oh, well, it's an interesting way of looking at it. And since then, I've, I've tried to work it. It is actually a gift. If you're alternative sexuality, it is a gift. It's a tricky gift. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged gift. You've got to get out. You've got to get positive with it. But then you can see things in a different way. And it's a genetic gift that has been given to me. I don't believe in the gods, so it's just... It was my share of the cards. We all get these... Genetic cards, some can play pianos, some people have very dark ones. I think we all have some dark ones, some light ones, some good ones, some help. I'm really good at running, I'm good at fishing, whatever it is. And they're just given to us. And then there's others we can work on from those basic genetics. So. And it's so, I feel like that realization was so important, particularly to comedy, because you, as a comic, the best comics are, know who they are. That's I feel like that's part of the comics journey is like the longer you do comedy, the more you know who you are, the more because you're constantly you analyze the external world and then you start analyzing your internal world. It's like, oh, this is who I am and I'm going to re. But you knew that from a, a young age. Well, I, on, on the sexuality thing, I sensed it from four and didn't articulate it until 19, I think. No, 21, one of us. Uh, um, yeah, I think about no. At nineteen, I tried to get see a doctor about it in uh, university, and then 20, 21, I told someone about it, and twenty three, I came out. So that was in there. That was just, but I was all this, you know, boys, soccer, military, all this very boy stuff going on, and then there's this girly thing as well. But I just didn't know what to do with it, and I was actually going to keep it secret forever. You know, it didn't seem like at all positive, and then I realized this: it's the Arthurian quest. We have, we are Arthurian knights. It's the way to think about it. If you are LGBT, you've got to think of yourself as Arthurian knight, and you've got to get your guts together, and your quest is to get out, tell people, and try and make a positive place for yourself, and then if anyone else can be positive with that, that's great, and and live in the world. And did you ever, you must did it ever occur to you, like, someday that's going to be uh, one of my defining traits that people will be inspired by and actually think is pretty cool? No, I never... Uh, and I didn't want to be a poster child either. I, I just wanted to say, this is where I've got to on it. And if you can swing with that, that's great. And if anyone else is, you know, alternative sexuality, they can grab hold of that. And uh, But it has got to a more positive place. And if I, you know, when I, if and when I get elected, which is 2020 when I'm going for election, that will be another positive move forward. And um, gay and lesbian communities have moved things a lot further forward since the 50s. Transgender is still playing catch up with a relations um, um, and my nails here that people can't see on radio podcasts but uh, I got British European transvestite that's this political state that Union Jack flag looks fucking great so it's the Union Jack here and that's the European flag there so it's like African American Italian American I'm British European and then the, and, I, and the others are just painted red and uh, somebody said to me well I see the British bit I see the European bit what's, what's the transvestite bit I said well I painted my fucking nails man. <laughs> <laughs> It was a perfect joke. I, I, it's such an odd thing to say. Um, but I like that you... I really, really like, uh, as we're sort of winding down here, because I don't want to 
to monopolize all your time. But as w- but but this idea that you you do have this long term plan, but there is the flexibility to be okay with moments happening. Just because I read that you discovered you were an atheist literally on stage, where you just went, "Oh, I don't think I." Oh yeah, I guess I don't really. And then you were just you, and you rolled with it. Like all of these decisions where you just scrapple, and then you go, "Oh yeah, no, this is how it is now." Uh, yeah, I, I think that is what, what when. Um it, it, I decided just to define it. I think I'd been... You, a lot of people go to agnostic and say, well, just in case the guy comes down. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you want to do. So you go up there and say, yeah, I, I was never sure. But yeah, I'm much more sure. Because you turn up, you know, and that used to be my joke. But then I just thought, stop pissing about. If I, I don't believe there's any, any one thing, man, woman, ham sandwich, whatever it is, running the gig. And if they are, I think a Stephen Dawkins line is, if there is a God, who created God? And then if that other person created God, so he must be God. And then who created him? Was that a hamster? And was it a hamster that's God? You know, who created the... It, it does it, etern, The only thing that makes sense is the randomness of eternalness, which is why Nazis can get into power, which is why the death counts, which is why great days and rock concerts and, and you know, nice salads and the, the, the beauty and the horror that we have in our world only makes sense from randomness, not from some divine plan of someone saying, I'm going to have a lot of hellish things and I got some salads as well. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It just, it stuff goes on. That's why we, the, the moderate people of the world, we've got to stay vigilant because some people, I don't know whether genetically or whatever, they, how they've grown up in their life, but they, they, they want to come in and tear things down and most of us are just live and let live, but sometimes these extremists get in, and it could be religious or political, and you just have to watch it, and you have to stay activist. And, and you know, that 2010 election you did, was, was it 10 or was it, uh, I don't know, was it 14? Where are we now? Coming up to 14. So it's the 12th. 12. Yep. The 12th one. That was great, because it, it looked like it was going to be really tough, and then you got in, and, you know, Barack Obama got back in. Well, so it's a two-term. A black man has been in for two terms, so there's black people around the world going, well, this is different. No matter what happens, no matter what obfuscation the obfuscation is that the word the, the the tea party put in trying to block ideas going through uh, it's still there it's written down now you know and uh, if hillary runs um in uh, in the next what is it going to be a couple years two years 16 yeah yeah that'll be very interesting and you know um so yeah, there's a lot of positive stuff out there in the world and i'm still you know glass is two-thirds full for me you just like to shake it up every once in a while. Well, I, no, I just want to keep pushing things forward because you've got to push forward. Otherwise, the negative people will drag things back and it'll all be about money. And, and then this, the wonderful things about America will seem like the old stuff about the old hierarchical Europe that people left for. You know, if, if money can run politics, then you sh- why did everyone leave Europe when it was money running politics? We've got money out of most of our politics. That's the amazing thing. We don't have all this money sloshing around. We don't have any adverts on telly that say, do this. You have big billboards. There's a certain amount of money, but you've just got tons of money. It's all gone weird. When do you know at what point when you're grappling with something like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to let it go, or... Can you not let something go until you have material-wise? Yeah, anyway, anyway, I'm I'm just I'm I'm interested. I think I think your comedy, having just t- talking to you, is one piece of the engine that is your brain, which I am very fascinated by because you keep coming up against all these things where where most people go, oh, I, I can't do that, and you go, no, I'll just tear this open and figure it out, and here's how it is, and I'll be flexible, but I have this plan, and I'm going to stay on this path, and you know, but I can take left and right turns here and there. I'm interested in how you problem solve. Um, I was always quite determined 
Um, I think when you're growing up, you will feel there are certain things you can do naturally. And then some people say, well, I can do these naturally, so that's what I will do. And the rest of the things I obviously can't do. But I have found that if you want to do something else that's maybe like the, the natural thing, or maybe it's some way from the natural thing, but you really want to do this other thing, you can actually build and develop a version of yourself that can do that. Um, dramatic acting was something I really wanted to do from seven, and then I got into comedy, and then I felt... Well, I've got, I've developed all these comedy muscles. How do I do dramatic acting? And I had to unlearn it. So I thought I'll take, I'll just block all my comedy single signals. And so my early dramatic pieces were just not good because there was almost nothing going on. Because I said I'm not going to do the comedy version. Bottom line of drama is to be truthful. Bottom line of comedy is to be funny. Um, and you can be funny and be truthful. And that could be a very poignant comedy film. Um, Little Miss Sunshine, there you go. There's a lot of comedic stuff going on there. But in, in the end, the, the, all the characters line down into truth. Uh, and you can be truthful uh, and, in, in drama and, and, uh, and be funny as well. But, but you've got to be truthful in drama. You've, that's the bottom line. It's got to all line up. Um, and I had to tr train myself to do that. And I got into, very much into technique of, I've, I didn't go to drama school, so I've got to learn all this technique. And then I was too much in my head and not in the moment. And being in the moment is completely key. For co dr drama, comedy, politics, be in the moment rather than... That's what people really respond to, in particularly say in politics. If someone can be there and living and breathing and saying, I, I feel this because that happened, rather than being perfectly on message, perfectly delivering the lines, and here's another set of lines. and you know, that's, They want people to be real. Remember in the, when it was Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, and they said, and then she, she was emotional at one point. They said, well, this is what we want to see. We want to see people being emotional. You, you've got to be like a, a fortress in politics, but you've also got to be open to be uh, emotional. And, and to be able to feel people's pain or to be positive and happy when, or to pull people up or, and say, come on, it's okay, we're, we're going to make this. And uh, so, yeah, being in the moment is, is very key. But I, I find that you can, I have analytical in one hand and instinctive in the other. So work on your instincts, but work on your analytical. Your analytical, analytical can open up things that you didn't realize you could do, and then you can, you can actually learn to do them. And then it can be like, well, this person can naturally do, naturally do that. I wasn't a good stand-up when I started. So apparently now I'm quite good. <laughs> you know, I, I feel I'm pretty good. But uh, I was a street performer. I was a terrible street performer. Then I became an okay, and then I'm a pretty good street performer. Um, you can learn to do things. Maybe not to, to world-class standards, but you can develop versions of yourself that has all the working bits that can, can, can do problems that, or do activities that you didn't think you could do can you thrive without an obstacle like do you need because all these things that you conquer it's like oh well i have to break that thing down it's an obstacle and break through it and figure it out if you, if you had if something would just was very easy was that boring to you if i had because i love making films and i haven't made my own films yet and so if i had the, the thing that i didn't have all these obstacles and just to make those films i'd be fine with that i'd rather not have all the obstacles um it's, that won't be boring. My obstacles then would be creative obstacles or creative problems of trying to make everything sync, work, and be good. I, I do want it to be interesting and, uh, and have an edge, but I can't. Yeah, it's a difficult one to answer that one. Um, I think I'd like it without the problems, but then you, you only learn from failure, you don't learn from right. success. So I've had a good slice of failure in my life. <laughs> well, the, the, the danger that some people run, I notice a lot of times, it's like, am I creating fires to put them out because I'm so 
in the mode of having to stamp things out? Am I creating problems because I, ha- I just have to solve problems? I don't think I do that, but I do know that once I've done an intense period of work, that I, once I stop, I go, isn't there anything I have to do now? <laughs> and, but there's always something to do because there's always, uh, yeah, there's always emails to answer or something or the problems from way back, but I don't know, yeah. Trying to just be at peace, I'm, that's a tricky thing. I'm not brilliant at just being at one and calm. I think that's okay too. I think that's okay. I think I don't think I think that's just one of the options of states of being is like I'm just zen all the time about everything. I'm like, well, that's what choice, but I, I know I kind of like being in the mix yeah. all the time. I do like doing things. Well, this has been uh, this has been great. I hope you had fun. Yeah, no, it's always good. Please come back anytime. Absolutely. And uh, Force Majeure, when are you? The tour starts thirtieth of April uh, in in DC. It's on EddieAzad.com. And it goes up to the 2nd in San Antonio in 2nd of July in uh, San Antonio. So it's Texas, Chicago down to Texas and everything east of that. But not every state, but I'm going to get to every state if I possibly can on this tour later in the year or beginning next year. Excellent. Because I, I think a lot of people don't. The, 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 the touring business is tricky and some people are like, what? how could you not come to dot, dot, dot? And you're like, well, it's not that simple. The venue has to be available. There, there's a lot of certain things that have to happen for yeah. these dates to fall into place. It has to work in the schedule. It's got to work in the mapping. And so it's never an intentional thing that's like, ah, fuck all those states. But it's, it's a process to, to string that many shows together yeah. at once. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Good to see you, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.